0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the State of Sport Management, a podcast with Dr. Matthew Hummel coming from Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas. Here's this week's episode.
1: Welcome back, everybody, here to another episode of State of Sport Management, and this will be our first post-op from a pre-op conversation earlier that we had with Jennifer Gelock, a doctoral student at Virginia Commonwealth University. She walked us through, I would say, in midst of job process, job search, it was it was in the early stages. And now that she's completed her job search in a security position, we are going to follow up and have kind of this post-op conversation talking about how her job search went. So Jennifer, how are you doing?
0: I'm great, Dr. Hummel. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited about this opportunity to reflect on the experience over the last few months. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. And you're in midst of dissertation. So just quickly, how is that going?
0: It's been going well. I I am on track still. I just analyzed my data. I'm really trying to commit to writing all weekend and next week um, to finish up, um, which is great timing during March Madness. Uh, I don't know why I planned it this way, but I'm really going to try and commit to stay dedicated to my writing and try and defend um in april
1: <laughs> well i mean i kind of laughed that i had scheduled recordings here during that first couple days of march madness which is a, never a good idea i've always got great <laughs> research plans during this time and it never works i think i can do some of it while watching games and it's just it's never successful right yeah so did you fill out a bracket Jennifer did you who's your who's your team that you you are picking to win so we can hear of this course. in a couple of weeks um,
0: I'm going with Michigan State for the men's and Baylor for the women's
1: ah nice well I feel like I'm kind of a homer I have Louisville as my champion on the women's side and then on the men's side I believe I picked Virginia to uh, oh. to rectify their first round upset yep and so yeah I got
0: some revenge coming
1: yeah so it'll be it'll be an opportunity I'm hoping Louisville will get a chance again to UConn. They beat UConn this year for the first time, I think, in what feels like 7,000 years, which is probably true for everyone that plays UConn. And, yeah. and so hopefully, if they get a chance, they can do it again. But nice. All right, well, we'll listen to this later, and then we'll laugh at our predictions. OK. <laughs> so so kind of get us started. Um, let's kind of do a quick walkthrough of applying for jobs. Kind of what was your experience in that now that you've kind of finished that process?
0: Yeah. So. I think, looking back, that um, there must have been over 50, at least 50 jobs that have been posted and are continuing to be posted, and I went back and looked at um, what I applied to. I applied to 26 postings. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> and they range like we talked about in the fall, I wasn't limiting myself. They ranged from small teaching to um, hybrid, um, and then some, some REACH schools for me, some R1s, high um, research. Uh, So they kind of expanded over that. And then um, I spent my Sundays and my evenings crafting cover letters and organizing my materials. I ended up receiving about, not about, I got seven first round interviews, which was either Skype or interviews. And then I was invited on campus to four and I went to three.
1: Oh, okay. So you said 23 applications?
0: 26
1: 26 and then that led yeah. to seven phone calls yes and then four campus invitations and you took three of them
0: correct yeah
1: so that's not bad i mean you think about it what that's like one out of every six seven six and a half applications you were able yeah. to bring on campus
0: yeah i uh to me i felt like that was you know Uh playing a numbers game, I guess, looking at um some of I guess the percentages that I ended up receiving in interviews, it worked out.
1: Yeah, no, I'd say that's great. I I might have said this during our previous podcast recording when we did this on the on the front end, but yeah, when I finished my masters and I was into advising, I was applying for advising jobs. I think I applied for seventy five advising jobs. And I probably got three or four on campus. So obviously you did that in a third of the the resources. (laughs) So that's awesome. So cover letters. That's a lot of cover letters. I mean, how did that, like, did it feel monotonous at the end? I mean, what was your experience filling out that many or doing that many cover letters?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was hard for the fact that, you know, you want to make it personal. You want to... Make sure you're hitting all the points and what that job posting is asking for and how your best match for that institution and that position um, and that definitely took some time i want to say like almost two hours for each posting at least
1: yeah i'd say that sounds about right i so this is a question i've always had you at some point before you started this you had a cover letter whether it was just a general one or whatever I mean, going through the like logistical process of getting these, did you save different cover letters for like research, teaching, hybrid, or how did you kind of, what was your re- revision process when applying to a different job?
0: Yeah, that's exactly kind of what I did, and I ended up with almost three, kind of like you just said, one that you know was a balance of research and teaching, one that you know was high research, and then one that really valued um, teaching excellence, and so I, I crafted my cover letters after I had that first round to kind of fill in the gaps from what I already had from previous job postings and application materials that I had sent in.
1: Nice. Yeah. I think that's, that's awesome. I, I've talked to a couple of people. I know some people will have one big cover letter that has paragraphs on a topic. So they'll have like a paragraph on research, a paragraph on teaching, paragraph on service, and then sometimes they'll have it. They'll have paragraphs that they've crafted before for specific things. So sometimes you apply for a religious school. So they might have a paragraph that's on some type of related to their faith. Um, it may have something related to the location, stuff like that. So I think that's awesome that you kind of have three different ones that you've been able to move around. Um, so going to the phone interviews, you said you had seven phone interviews. Kind of walk us through. What was your learning experience from there?
0: My biggest takeaway is that interviewing is definitely a skill. And each time I did it, I left more confident that I was answering the questions the committee was asking to the best of my ability. And that only came because it was very repetitive, right? I think the last one I had, like I left and I was like, you know, I really enjoyed that experience and I felt it back from the committee that they were it was almost like a conversation that they were really enjoying the answers I was giving them. And it was only because of the experience that I had done it a few times.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's great. I I always say you have a good or bad feeling. Well, I, either you have a good or you aren't sure how to feel about a phone interview. So, yeah, totally my, um,
0: Dr. Dwyer, a little piece of advice. He's my advisor here at VCU. He always says if it's going to be on the phone, smile. The committee can feel that on the other side. So, oh, I tried to do oh, that. Oh,
1: nice. That is some good advice. Yeah. So, I mean, did any weird questions that came up during all those phone interviews or things that kind of threw you for a loop?
0: Huh. You know what? actually the last place which well i guess we'll talk about where i accepted a position but that was my last skype interview and at the end of that they asked me um tell us a little bit about what you like to do in your free time and tell us about something unique to you and to me that was actually one of the first places that asked me that
1: oh interesting because Yeah, I mean, I guess it'd be good for us to go over. So phone interviews, I feel like they're going to ask you either one or more questions that relate to your teaching, your research, your service, and then sometimes they'll go off the cuff about um, asking you about experiences working with students, advising students, um, working on projects, uh, collaborating with Every single
0: place asked me... Why did you apply? Why are you the best fit? And why, basically, why should we hire? Every single place asks that question. So to be prepared specifically. And what I tried to do, I tried to have three main points specifically for that institution and that department why I wanted to work there.
1: Mm, Nice. Yeah, see, I'm all about prep. One thing I tell my students when they're doing phone interviews, and I do the same thing, especially on Skype interviews. Um, So you're probably sitting at your computer i'll actually put sticky notes on my monitor near the camera so then when i'm looking at my notes taking my notes in to verbalize them to the committee it almost it still looks like i'm just looking right at them Yep, that's exactly what i did yeah and so i think for a lot of people sometimes you have your notes down and then you're interviewing and so you're merely looking down for that cue um so yeah no that's obviously a phone interview is a little bit easier because you can be looking wherever Yep. But yeah. So, okay. So we went through those phone interviews. You have your on campus. It sounds like you had four offers. You did three of them. How did yeah. those go?
0: They were good. Um, I can't wait to dive into the experience a little bit more. Um, and so the three places that I went, they all ranged as well. So the first one I went to was more of a hybrid. Our um, two institution value both teaching and research. The second one I went to was a small private liberal, liberal arts institution, so a little bit different. And then um, the last one uh, was a mid-sized public teaching institution. So they all varied in the type of institution.
1: And did, so they do they all do the same about a time? Like were you were you on essentially their for like 24 hours 48 hours how did that all go
0: yeah the average was 48 hours um all of them were two day long get there the night before um one full day and then um the next day was more of a half day to late afternoon
1: okay And then how many people you think you, like, individual people, new people, did you meet during these interviews, roughly?
0: (laughs) Wow. So um, every school was great about providing me with an itinerary in advance. With names? Yes, with names.
1: Okay, nice. And
0: I think that was a really big benefit. Um, and something I did well. I over-prepared for, especially if they sent me the names of the people I would be meeting with and their department. And actually, I was talking with... um, Chad Gaber, who's the year behind me, about something I felt like helped me because sometimes I can have poor recall um, in my memory when I get anxious or I'm nervous. So what I did is I actually broke down my itineraries by the person I was meeting with, um, their background, um, their title, and then specific questions I wanted to ask them. So I had all of that prepared in advance. And then for each meeting, I've kind of pulled out that piece of paper and you know asked, do you mind if I take notes during this meeting? And Because they are always going to want you to ask them questions as well. And I had those already prepared in advance.
1: Yeah, and I think you hit something that I think is one of the toughest things is everyone will ask you to ask them a question. And so you need to have this almost library of yes. questions. And it depends because if it, you meet with the dean or provost or someone that's in high-level administration, you need to think about a question that's more targeted towards them than if you were talking to what a potential future colleague or a student and what they're looking for. So yeah, I remember having having to have a pretty big list of questions. But the nice thing is I always tell people don't be afraid to ask the same question to two different people, um, like research expectations or tenure expectations because you might find out you get two different answers.
0: Yeah, exactly. and. Going back to tailoring your questions to the people, so I met with everyone from students, um, getting to meet with students um, at all three schools, which was great. I thought that was great. And then all the way up to, you know, the small private school, I met with the vice president and um, the dean of faculty affairs. And that person was actually in some of my presentations, which I'm sure we'll get into, but just being aware that you're going to meet with a wide range of constituents and to kind of already know that going in
1: yeah and I think that's a great segue so each of these um, each of these on-campus interviews likely asked you to do some type of presentation so what was your prep on that how did that go
0: yeah again I think something that I did well was I over prepared for those something hard was that each school the teaching pres I did a teaching presentation and a research at all three the teaching um was different at each one. What they wanted, the subject they wanted me to teach on, so I had to prepare three new lesson plans, pretty much, which was hard, given that, you know, I'm teaching right now a different yeah. subject. And it's a lot of time to do commitment. My <laughs> yeah, so I actually brought in some of my master students who I'm teaching currently um, and practiced my teaching presentation with them to make sure, you know, what the learning objectives uh, I was trying to get across was coming across, and they provided me with feedback, which was great. And then my research presentation was different at all three as well for the fact that, like, the one just wanted me to talk about my dissertation. And the second one wanted me to talk about my dissertation, also my future research agenda. And then the last one, I just got to talk about my research agenda, and they kind of left that open to me for how I wanted to do it.
1: Hmm, okay. And so did... Who did you work with to get your presentations like built? Did you talk to mentors, advisors? Did you talk to other people that are already in the field? How did you kind of build what needed to be done in there?
0: Yeah, I definitely leaned a lot on my three faculty members here at VCU. Uh, I think I mentioned in my first one, like we're a very small program here. And gosh, the advice they've given me, I can only encourage other people. like That you're going to learn the most by talking to people who've been at been in that position and who have been in hiring positions they actually told me like you want to get these points across but you you don't want to sound robotic while you're doing it either like they want to hear your research agenda but remember not everyone in the room is going to be in sport management which is something I feel like I could have done better is knowing that like people on the research committees can sometimes come from outside of sport management um, and other of the health sciences department. And then uh, the students were in my research presentation at one institution. So just knowing who your audience is going to be and preparing to deliver, especially research, to who's going to be there.
1: Yeah, and I think talking to faculty is great, especially because you're getting feedback from people that have done countless interviews on the on the other side like you've you're getting info info from other people in the field talking about their interview process but it's good to get information from people that have seen other people pitch yeah and talk about that stuff so you can kind of maybe see some of the pitfalls that might like occur for that okay so all that's done and you get a (laughs) job so where did you get your job jennifer
0: So I am going to the University of North Alabama.
1: Yeah, and so you got a tenure-track position there, correct?
0: Yeah, so um, tenure-track assistant professor position.
1: Nice. So going into, you get the offer for that. Um, How was that phone call? How nervous were we, excited?
0: Yeah, um, so I think something great about the University of North Alabama, and something that I feel very confident about the decision I made is, this institution was upfront with me the whole time about how excited they were about my candidacy and the things that I brought to the table that they really valued. I really received that from them, um, and one of my strengths is relationship building. Um, I'm doing Strength Finders um, in my leadership class a few years ago, and. That's just something that like I took away. I left North Alabama having pretty good idea that I was one of their top candidates. And the process moved very quickly. They actually called me that Monday to offer me the position. Um, and I had got a good feeling that that might happen from the committee um, and the department chair who I met with last um, when I was on campus there. Um, and he had, he was, a, the only person other institutions did this as well um, when I was on campus but they provided me with what the um starting salary range would probably look like and the startup costs and what you probably would or would not be able to negotiate so I left campus knowing all of that so I wrote my pros and cons list and then I had my negotiation plans ready um when they called, and but I still took some 48 hours to think about their initial offer, of course.
1: Yeah, no, I'm that's awesome. <laughs> so, so how did that negotiation go? So, they called and made um, I mean, I'm making an assumption that they call, they offer you the job, and at the time they have basic details on um, salary, potentially moving costs, maybe startup, um, and then if there's a course release, and then. So I mean, what information did they provide you on that first phone call?
0: Yeah, you hit it all. Um, they provided me with the with the starting salary, um, what they thought they could provide, um, the moving cost. Um, I had mentioned that some software that I would need for uh, my research when I was there, um, they told me that they would be able to provide that for me um, and some of the office equipment. And uh, what am I missing? And the moving costs. So that was all in the initial offer, and nothing was in writing. So I didn't get anything in writing. It was all over the phone.
1: Yep. And I'd say that's pretty normal. I mean, usually, yeah. um, like the two instances I've had that experience where they want you to do some type of verbal agreement, and then once they know you're on the same page, they'll send you a contract either electronic or through the mail, and then they want you to send it back. So. Was there any negotiation? Like, did you ask for certain? It sounds like you asked for software. Was there anything beyond that that you asked for? Um, yeah, or I mean, on?
0: one of the reasons why, like, I felt very good about um, you know North Alabama is the department chair kind of pitched me he's like, I'm going to negotiate this for you already. And one of them was the course release. So North Alabama is a teaching institution primarily and um, the teaching load is going to be a 4-4." And he's like, I'm going to, you know, negotiate for you already a 3-3 your first year. And then also for moving costs, I told them something that was really important to me was professional development and still continuing to um, go to present my research and to get some certifications um, in the field. And they negotiate, They had already proposed to me that, you know, here's your travel and your moving costs. Anything you don't use, we can roll that over into a professional development fund for you. Mm. I thought that was really great. Um, the, really, the only thing that I ne- came back to negotiate was the starting salary. Um, I did some research. It's a public institution, so going to look at what they al- and they also had some new hires, what those new hires were hired at. And what they had initially offered was a little bit lower than that, so I kind of countered a little bit higher than those initial offers, knowing that that they would probably come back down to meet me where.
1: Yeah, but nice. The yeah. Was at yeah. That's why I always always ask for an extra 50 grand, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think that's smart. Looking that up, I know for some people, or if you get an offer from private school, you may not have that. I. I'd also recommend for anyone, you can always talk to future colleagues. Maybe sometimes they're forthcoming about, hey, you know, here's, here's what we're making, or here's what my offer was my first year. And like you said, it's even more helpful if you have someone that's been hired there recently. So because sometimes you, depending on how big your program is, you could have someone that's been there for 15 years. And obviously what they got paid to start is not uh, an effective benchmark for what needs to be. To what needs to be measured on that. So,
0: yeah, and I think just it's not a comfortable conversation, obviously, and I know statistically females are less to do it more often than males, but knowing that you're worth it and be able to justify it with some reasons of, you know, I'm coming to this job with some student loan debt and I'm going to be moving halfway across the country and taking those things into account and Knowing in advance that this is what the money would be used for, I think, can make a good case for why you, you could counter um, increasing your base salary.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a great point because I've um, my big thing, and I, I might maybe I'll get some flack from this, but I'm always a counter person. <laughs> um, like if you get an offer, it doesn't hurt to counter. You don't want to ask for anything crazy. Um, like if someone offers you sixty-five and you counter at 85 then it's like there's no point in countering. Like if you really think 85 is what you need then you just you you've been duped into doing this too far. But yes. if someone offers you 65 and you want to ask for 68, like I don't I don't think anyone's going to be offended by that, but the big thing for me is you need to know kind of going in. Like my always thing is if you're going to counter, you need research or some type of data to back you up for that ma- decision. So I'm giving a hypothetical here but if you got offered 65 and you counted at 68, and your reasoning was, well, looking at previous hires, this is what they were making, or um, based on standard living increases, or based on what I was getting paid in my last job, like all those are good reasons. But if you're just countering without giving a reason, then that's when you could get some hurt feelings in the situation for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so interesting on that. So now, now that we've gone through this whole thing, what what went well, what didn't go well? So I know you talk a bit about well, well, well. It sounds like you were well prepared for giving your, te- or your teaching or research presentation to the committee, what else went well?
0: Yeah, I, um, I've traveled a lot. I feel like I'm a pretty good traveler. I could see how flying to a new place, getting your rental car, then driving two hours could be a really daunting task. For me, because I'm comfortable doing that already because done, I've done it a lot, I think that was a strength of mine to be able to travel and then kind of, you know, pick myself back up and have high energy. So that's something I think I did well, but something, if that maybe not your strength to know going in, like, it's going to be a lot. There's going to be some travel involved, and gosh, people tried to tell me before I went that it's going to be an exhausting process, but wow, when you leave that campus... I, I'm an introvert by nature. That's how I recharge my batteries. And I needed a good 48 hours to recover um, from having, you know, being on all the time. Like every conversation you have is part of the interview. So it it was, it was a lot, but it's something I feel like I did handle well. Yeah. And then, yeah, understanding my itinerary, I uh, really just tried to dive into who I was going to be meeting with and being prepared to, you know, ask questions to them.
1: Mm. And so kind of on the the flip side of that, what didn't go so well? What were kind of learning experiences in this process where maybe you did something the first time that now you realize you do a little bit differently?
0: I think one of um, the things I would like to improve on, and I think it would only come with doing it multiple times, is... So over the course of two days, you're with the committee a lot, and you're going to meals with them, and you're getting to know them. And then actually, every single one of my interviews ended with meeting with that same search committee, and they ask you some pretty hard questions. Um, you're still in the interview, and they want to, you know, make sure that they're going to make the right decision. And I think being better prepared for some of those harder questions about, you know, teaching excellence and students teaching and learning and pedagogy and what I really believed in. I think at that point in the interview I was just pretty exhausted and just being trying to be better prepared for, you know, going into a tough last session would I think I could have done better in.
1: Mm. Yeah, and so I do want to add something on that cuz you've made me think of something of I asked you earlier if you had any questions that caught you off guard during phone or on-campus interviews of, I had a dean at University of Louisville when I was working there full-time, and he loved, loved to ask a question that there in no way, shape, or form could you have ever prepared for. And at the time, the first time, I had no idea that he would ask this type of question, but he, he taught me unintentionally to prepare for the unexpected. And it's not like I'm writing down all these crazy answers, but it's more of learning to kind of pause when you get a question that's crazy. So I remember he asked me, why shouldn't we hire you? And I had never, ever, ever thought about that. And that's a tough, tough question to answer. And so it was... Like, for a little while, and still, I guess even still now, I do prepare for questions talking about having to make self-critiques, because I think those are tough things to do off the fly, to speak, hey, what's terrible about you? It's like, no one really mm-hmm. wants to think that way, and then you're also terrified that you may say something that you don't think it's a big deal, because you live with it every day, but for them, like, the committee is just like, oh my gosh, we can't even think about hiring this person. Um, yeah. so, Yeah.
0: So something again about North Alabama, when I was in that last exit interview, you could tell they really cared a lot who they were hiring because I think almost the whole department was on the search committee. So, and then that final exit interview, I, like I said, it was my weakness in the last, even in the first two, like I just wasn't on top of my game and they appreciated that about me that I told them (laughs) that I can't answer that question right now. It's not coming to me. And I would, I would love to get back to you on it. And they just thought that, you know, me being myself was something that I could tell they really valued about me. So um,
1: I think that was an awesome answer to take time or to even say, hey, why don't I take some time to think about that and I'll get back to you. Because when you get that question and you aren't prepared for it, that anxiety just takes over. And you start oh, stressing gosh, yeah. and sweating and you're worried because... <laughs> This Your whole life, you've seen resources. You understand that when someone asks you a question or an interview, you have to answer it. And so now you're yeah. faced with a question that you just don't have a, a great answer for. And so I think that was a definitely an impre- like an impressionable moment there of, yeah, you took, you know, what? hey, why don't you give me some time? And I'll definitely get back to you because um, I guess for the listeners out there, Jennifer and I just did a presentation at ASMA. And I remember telling you in our prep for our presentation, like, hey, you know, if anyone asks us any crazy questions or hard questions, um, we'll just say, like, why don't we talk after the presentation and we can give you some more information on that. And yeah. so it's kind Yeah, of I same think that's thing. a great
0: way to do it. And then, But, you know, make sure to follow up on um, what you can not answer. And some of the things I actually hadn't been in that scenario before that they were asking me, so that was also hard. Um, and I said, well, I haven't been in that situation, but... This is how I would handle
1: it. So Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. I
0: think I would handle it.
1: So just kind of quickly, what would you tell those behind you that are gonna be going up on the job search that maybe still in the job search now are gonna be starting in the fall or or maybe even a couple years online, what would you tell them? What was your takeaway, your kind of like your brief takeaway that you would tell them about entering the job market?
0: Yeah, I have a few things. Um, the first one, and we kind of talked about it already, but to learn from those who have been there before you, um, to do either formal informational interviews, but a lot of the time was informal for me. Like I know we, you checked in with me a lot and how's it going and just bouncing ideas off of people, what has been going well and ha- what hasn't has, was really crucial to me um, and using my faculty members for, a lot for that. Um, on the actual interview, something that helped me bring snacks – you're probably not going to be eating a lot um, at actual lunch or dinner um, just because you're going to be talking. So make sure you're bringing snacks and water with you. That's good. And to take deep breaths. I think there's a few times where they'll give you room to yourself and that's just a time for you to be like, collect your thoughts and you're doing great and give yourself some positive feedback that you've gotten this far. So I I did that. And then also, I think the biggest piece of advice is throughout this whole process and something that... I really learned a lot about myself was to stop comparing yourself to others. You know, I have some amazing peers that I've met at conferences who are I know that were interviewing for some, the same positions as me. And I had to give myself, you know, a little bit of a break that, you know, I just started my research journey two and a half years ago. Like, I did not do any research before I came to VCU um, and from my practitioner life. So I had to just really kind of... Stop doing that and saying, you know, they're going to hire the best person for that position. And if it's not me, then it's going to another great person who I know, you know, has maybe been working at their craft a little bit longer and that's okay. And then lastly, to just be yourself. I think anyone who knows me would know that, you know, I, I am myself and I think that why North Alabama liked me was because I was myself and that's also why I liked them because we, you know, I felt like it was very natural to... to Knowing what I was going to get and what they were going to get once I came on campus.
1: Yeah, and the only thing I was going to add in because you were making me think about that is it's good to kind of know your weaknesses going in. So for me, I'm, I'm I'm bad at remembering names a lot, especially obviously you get so many names thrown at you. I'm always, if I have time, I like to write down that name because I'm, I'm not not necessarily the writing is going to make me remember more, but either just writing it out or writing it down is going to help trigger my memory or at least I can look at something later when I forget that person's name.
0: Yeah, and then also writing their name down, maybe like a nice note that you connected with them on a personal level, because I wrote handwritten thank you notes to the places that I went on campus on, and I tried to add in a little, oh, we connected on this like personal thing that had nothing to do with the job, but hopefully mm. they remember yeah. that we had this in common.
1: That's awesome. And so what are, what's the next step? So we've obviously have got dissertation, so we're not going <laughs> to act like that's just not around, um, but let's just assume that was done or what are the next steps on going on so you have to move do you have an idea when you're going to move
0: yeah um i will probably move it's a nine-month contract so the beginning of august because i'll probably start there mid-august so i'm going to try and move the end of july beginning of august here from vcu i have a lot of travel coming up in my future after my dissertation finishes and to do that, and then also they have provided me with a course I'm going to be teaching, so nice. Uh, yeah, I can do get a head start on that. But I think a great piece of advice is, you know, because research is still important to me, and you know, it is going to be recognized for this, you know, promotion um, because it, for the for a tenure track position that, you know, I'm going to try and get some research done over the summer with, um, you know, this kind of gap in employment. You know, my my faculty advised me that, you know the courses are always going to be there and you are going to do the prep because you have to, and you're going to show up to that class and you're a great educator as it is, but something that you can get a head start on is maybe starting, you know, some new research ideas and plans to, you know, get you a head start before you get on campus.
1: Nice. So your teaching schedule, do you have any classes you're going to be teaching twice in the same semester or?
0: Yes, not the fall semester. So there's three new preps.
1: Yikes, but fun. One course I've,
0: you know, (laughs) can draw a lot from um, for coaching. It's a coaching class um, for theory of practice. And I taught a similar coach here at VCU. So,
1: okay, nice. And so then in the spring, you potentially have two classes that you're going to be teaching at the same time that will be the same. And then you have some crossover courses you're teaching in the fall.
0: Yeah so in the spring there should be some crossover and okay. then there's opportunities to teach also in the summer um, and to be flexible and they're doing going through some curriculum changes um, for both undergrad and the graduate program so it's still in flux of once they get state approval for the curriculum what that what the next steps are and what that's going to look like so there is some unknown a little bit about what i'll be teaching in the in the near future but i at least know for the fall what what's expected of me
1: yeah but no that's that's just kind of huge you just know kind of what the plan is until the holiday break okay so jennifer kind of last question follow-up just kind of off the cuff here's our fun the fun podcast questions and the follow-up that we're doing is what's a conference that you really want to go to that you haven't had a chance to go to yet
0: Ooh. um I would love to go to SMANS. Um, Could you like to say that acronym out for me? I know you've been before.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean, that's what I would say. But it's what? Sport Management Association of Australia New Zealand.
0: Yes, that one. I would love to do some international travel and talk about my research while doing it.
1: Yeah, I mean... I went to SMANS a couple years ago, and it was probably my favorite conference to go to just because it was so different. But yeah, so kind of taking a step back. So what conferences have you been to on um, like sport management conferences?
0: Yeah, so I've been CSRI, the College Sport Research Institute. I've been, uh, every year I've gone to NASM. I have been. We went this past spring to ASMA, Applied Sport Management Association Conference. And then um, this past fall, it's not my area, but I went for networking for, because I was going to be going up the job, I went to SMA, which was a great conference, um, and Sport Marketing Frisco. Association.
1: Yeah. So what did you think of that practice facility?
0: Oh, wow. It was great. It was great. We got to have a nice social on the practice field, do a tour of um, the practice facility while there were poster presentations going on. It was a great experience. I would love to go to SMA again.
1: Yeah, nice. So, yeah, I've I've never been to SMA, but um, I'm looking forward to NASM this year, New Orleans. Are you going to NASM
0: Yes, I will be going to NASM. I'm excited to um, present some of my findings from my dissertation there.
1: Oh, nice. Okay. And then, yeah, just to do the shout-out for Smans. Smans <laughs> next year will be in Christchurch, New Zealand. So go okay. ahead, Jennifer. Save your nickels and dimes, and then maybe Smans will be on the agenda. <laughs> so awesome. Well, thanks, Jennifer, for joining us. I really appreciate this post-op. I think this was fantastic. I think you you provided some really vital information, for, especially for those that are going to be going up in the job search, whether they're soon-to-be baby docs or people that are already in the field that haven't maybe applied for a while to kind of get some some good basics on what's going on and what your experiences were so thank you for joining us we really appreciate it
0: yeah thank you
1: yeah and so thank you everyone for listening in here on this next episode of state of sport management and we hope you'll check in on the next one